0: open that with me to the book of Proverbs and in just a little bit we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 26 today for our message. If, you, if you're new, if this is the first time you've been here, we've been in a series on the book of Proverbs from the Old Testament and we've been looking at what it means to live out uh, a life of wisdom and so we're going to continue that series today in Proverbs chapter 26. Uh, but I want to begin with some famous contradictions Famous contradictions, and I don't know. I'm sure most of you, you'd never contradicted yourself ever. You you never fall into that that folly of contradiction, never, ever, ever. Uh, but I want to look at a few famous contradictions, and it's going to tie in with our message. Uh, the first one, first slide up. This is a famous uh, Cuban dictator, former Cuban dictator Fidel Castro. Um, not you know generally recognized as a very nice person, but he said this at one point. He said. I never saw a contradiction between the ideas that sustain me and the ideas of that symbol of that extraordinary figure, Jesus Christ. So Castro says, Jesus, now he calls him a symbol, right, because he doesn't necessarily believe in God, so he calls him a symbol, but he says, but as a symbol, Jesus and me, no contradiction, right, on the same page, we're cool, right, so that's, That's one, okay. Next up, we've got another one. This is from the famous actor-director Orson Welles of Citizen Kane. He, He said, he takes the opposite approach of Fidel Castro, which, you know, generally, not a bad approach, but everything about me, Orson Welles says, is a contradiction, and so is everything about everybody else. He says, we are made out of oppositions He goes on, it won't be on the screen, but he says, there's a Philistine and an esthete in all of us, and a murderer and a saint. You don't reconcile the poles, the contradictions. You just recognize them. So on the one hand, Castro says, me and Jesus, no contradiction. Don't worry about it. Orson Welles says, everyone is filled with contradictions, contradictions. Uh, Jim Davis, on a lighter note, the creator of um, Garfield and Friends, says, Good morning is a contradiction. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite one so far. Next up, the king, the undisputed king of contradictions, the guy by the name of Yogi Berra. He says in one of his famous ones, I never said most of the things I said. Just want you to know that. Right? And then the, the famous designer, Irene Peter, she says, Always be sincere, even when you don't mean it. All right, so that's, that's itself a, maybe, maybe good advice. So all of those, we could say, involve some level of a contradiction. And I don't know how many of you, maybe you're more analytically geared, like you kind of, you get frustrated when you see like contradictions in life or in society or culture or in, or in your friends. Maybe you're, you're geared um, sort of like that. Uh, some people have argued that in recent years, our culture has actually lost the ability to recognize a contradiction, right? We've talked about uh, terms like relativism and, and what it means to be in a post-truth era. You may have heard that phrase, like the, the lack of ability to recognize when something is actually logically contradictory, right? Some people argue that we've lost that, that skill to a certain extent but the question I want to ask today is what about contradictions in the Bible what about contradictions in the scriptures and in the class that I'm supposed to be teaching but I'm not because I'm in here right now they're actually looking at this idea today in this critiques of Christianity course that's going on in C8 at 915 are there contradictions in the Bible are there untruths in the Bible And, and the two verses that we're gonna look at today in the book of Proverbs Have been held up by some people as the most glaring exemplar or example of contradictions in the Bible. And so we're gonna look at this together and and, and explore it together in Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen or it's printed in your in your update there. You can read it. It says this in Proverbs chapter 26, beginning in verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. And then in the very next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. I'll read it again because it's very short, two verses. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be like him. Verse 5, do answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes, right? And I don't know if any of you watched Sesame Street growing up, but they had a song on Sesame Street, and the song went sort of like this, one of these things is not like the other one, right? You remember that song? And you had to like, which one doesn't fit, right? You had to spot the contradiction. And, and here, many people like, what are like, these are opposite commands. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, next verse answer a fool according to his folly and they're right next to each other in the book of proverbs and so i want to look at the uh, how is that not a massive contradiction right two completely opposite pieces of advice right next to each other and i can relate to that a little bit because i give that sort of advice all the time to my kids right to my spouse to my students but but i'm not the bible right i'm fallible so How is that not a massive contradiction? But before we look at that, before we get to the sort of the the question that I wanna answer, we need to address another issue. And the question is, who is this person that the passage is talking about under the label of the fool, the fool? Who is the fool? And this is not the time to gesture or motion towards your spouse in in the service I got a guess right here. Um, <laughs> right? You should see the electrical job that this fool did, Right, the, the, the fixing of the toilet. Right, um, Who is the fool in the passage? Uh, who is the fool that's spoken of? And we've seen that the book of Proverbs likes to engage in what could be called like typology or the construction of these kind of archetypes, and we've looked at one of them. Several weeks ago when I spoke, uh, I did a message on Lady Wisdom. Right? Lady Wisdom is a, is a type that's looked at. Last week, if you were here, we looked at another one of these uh, under the label of uh, what the Proverbs call the sluggard. Right? So that was another common character. And, and one of the most common characters in the whole book of Proverbs is the fool. The fool. And the fool is contrasted with Lady Wisdom contrasted with the wise son that the father gives instructions to. And so, who is the fool? I, I took an inventory of famous fools from TV and movies, and, and I have a couple exemplars of what we would think of as a famous fool. This is Michael Gary Scott from The Office, the sort of prototype for the clueless boss, and I'm i just like camping down so many quotes right now that I want to. Uh, so maybe Michael Scott is who you think of when you think of a fool, just a feckless, clueless guy. Maybe he means well, but he just doesn't have a clue. Another famous fool here, or two of them, actually. Uh, <laughs> Lloyd Christmas and Harry Dunn, those are their names, in Dumb and Dumber, and even the title of the movie suggests. I love this scene because the the scooter like backfires right after this, and they almost... They almost crash. Uh, another famous fool here, this is Steve Martin in The Jerk. This is a little bit older. I don't know that I've ever seen The Jerk, so don't judge me if that makes me you know, no longer credible as a preacher, but a uh, famous fool. And another, another example here, two, again, from Zoolander, Derek Zoolander and Hansel, Hansel, so hot right now, Hansel. Um, both clueless, just, I mean, they're just, you know, dumb. They say dumb things. Maybe one of those is somebody you think of when you say, we're talking about a fool. Somebody who just isn't very intelligent, who doesn't have a clue. Uh, but the reality is, in the book of Proverbs, if we go to the next slide here, it's a little bit different. In the book of Proverbs, the answer to the question of who is the fool in the Bible the fool is more, far more of a moral category than an intellectual one. The fool is far more of a moral label or category than an intellectual one. And so in the book of Proverbs, it would be, we've said this before in previous weeks, it's entirely possible to be a brilliant fool. It's entirely possible to be a fool who has a very high IQ, Because it's not about intellect. Solomon becomes a brilliant fool at the end of his life. The fool is somebody, according to the the scholars, someone who's malicious. Someone who is arrogant. It doesn't matter if you're really, really smart or, or not really, really smart. If you're arrogant, you're a fool, Proverbs would say. It's someone who is immature for their age or their place in life. Right, and so it's not a bad thing to be immature, depending on where you are. Right, it's not a bad thing for a for a, my four-year-old to be in the kiddie pool. Right, but it's a bad thing for a 44-year-old to be in the kiddie pool. Right, we're, we're calling the cops if that happens. So, immaturity is the mark of a fool, relative to where you're at in life. Anger, right, a, a, a person who just easily just flips the switch into rage or anger. The Book of Proverbs would say that's a sign of a fool. Somebody, maybe most of all, who is chronically unteachable. They just have a sort of unteachable spirit. The book of Proverbs would say, that's a mark of the fool. And so each one of those are connected more to sort of moral c- characteristics and to maturity than they are to sort of an intellectual you know, lack of capacity Or something something like this. Uh, Proverbs 26, a couple examples of the fool that we won't get to specifically, but we need to touch on from Proverbs chapter 26. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. (laughs) And so the Proverbs are supposed to help you and make you wise and make life better for you and those around you. But to give a proverb to a fool, it says, is like just giving a thorn bush to a drunk. And they're swinging it around and they're hurting themselves and they're hurting everybody else, right? They're, they're unteachable when it comes to wisdom. Next up, Proverbs 27, stone is heavy and sand a burden, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. It's this, this, this sense that like, man, I used to have to carry, you know, heavy loads for work or for... Or something, But I'll tell you what's heavier than all of that, have to interact with that fool every day. Right? That provocation, Proverbs 27 says, is heavier than, than stone. And so just like last week, the book says uh, harsh things about this, this person, this type uh, of the fool. But the reality is all of us have encountered the fool in certain ways, but the, the other side of it is this. All of us have been the fool, right? All of us have acted foolishly, and we could go around the room and tell stories, and that might be a very entertaining sermon, right? Uh, and so it's, it's not a category that it's just about those people out there. That's one of the dangers when we, when we preach or when religious people get together where we're like, yeah, you tell them, right? But it's something that all of us have embodied It's not just something we we see in other people. The fool is, is who we're talking about today. And once we've defined that, who we're talking about, then we can come back to the question. And the question was, how is this advice not a massive contradiction? Once again, the passage says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be like him. And the next verse Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will think himself wise. They are exactly the opposite. And I know what some of you are thinking, like, well, what about the the Hebrew? What about the Hebrew and the Greek, right? Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not, right? I I heard a pastor say one time, you can always tell an evangelical with a bad idea because he immediately becomes a Greek scholar. (laughs) Well, maybe maybe the Hebrew is not like that. Unfortunately, the Hebrew is exactly like that. And because of that reason, there was a debate at a place called the Council of Jambia in the early centuries on whether the book of Proverbs should even be in the Bible because of these two verses. There was a debate. The guys who spoke Hebrew debated these two verses. Uh, A a scholar, a, a Bible scholar by the name of Raymond Van Lewin, in his commentary, he says this. It'll be up on the screen. He says... Before we get to that, the apparent contradiction of these verses nearly kept Proverbs out of the Jewish canon. But the Talmud argued that the admonitions refer to different matters. The solution to this apparent contradiction lies in this direction. Wisdom does not always mean doing the same thing, even in superficially similar ways circumstances that's important wisdom is not always mean doing the same thing even in superficially similar circumstances there is as ecclesiastes says a time to be silent and a time to speak and so the conclusion that was reached by the rabbis and by the scholars about these verses is that they're not contradictory because in certain instances it is wise to not answer a fool to not get baited into this argument or this discussion and in other instances it is and so wisdom is not just this paint by numbers approach where you just get your instructions and you go do it regardless of the context or the circumstances they were taken as referring to two different two different scenarios And you can can see this in the way the book was compiled, the way the the book of Proverbs was put together. Whoever compiled it, like if if, if it were me and I had these two like glaringly different commands, I'd try to hide it, right? I'd I'd put one of them like in chapter 2 and the other one in chapter like 28 and like mix them in with some other stuff. Nobody will know who reads straight through, right? You don't do that. Uh, Like I would hide it. I'd try to hide it, right? But the compiler of the book intentionally places them right next to each other. He's not ashamed of it. He's not ashamed of the fact that they're different. He even draws attention to it by intentionally placing them right beside each other. And they're quite obviously opposites if we just read them on the surface. And and so this this brings us to an important point. An important question is what then is a proverb we've been studying the proverbs for several weeks right and here are two proverbs that are obviously exactly the opposite don't answer a fool do answer a fool even uses the exact same wording of according to his folly well what is a proverb and maybe the first thing we can say is this proverbs are not promises they are not statements that can be taken in an absolute sense as a guarantee or a promise in every single circumstance. Uh, and we saw this last week. There are Proverbs that say many things about like finances, for instance. You know, if, you're, you know if, you're, if you do this, you'll be rich. If you do this, you'll be poor, right? And we would say that in many instances that's true, but it's not true in every instance. It doesn't keep the stock market from crashing. It doesn't change the reality in sub-Saharan Africa. Right? You can't just like obey all the Proverbs and be really, really rich in certain instances. Jesus himself dies poor, and so poor that when they divide up his stuff, they're left literally with only the shirt on his back. And it wasn't because he was a fool. So Proverbs aren't Promises. They're not this sort of like magic code or guarantee in every instance. Scholars would say next, Proverbs are about probability. Proverbs are about the probabilities of life. That if you want to be successful or healthy or to have good relationships or, or prosperous, then do these things and the probability is it will pay off. It doesn't keep you necessarily from getting some form of cancer that's going to make life you know, difficult financially or otherwise. It's not a guarantee, but it does pertain to probabilities. Proverbs 10.27 says this, a famous proverb. It says, the fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. There's another passage that famously talks about that. Like if you obey your parents, right, you will have a long life. Well, not always. Not always, right? I, I've, we've known children who've died young. We've known, I have a brother-in-law who died very young. It wasn't because he was a bad kid, right? So Proverbs deal in probabilities. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. 26, or 22, verse 6, start children off on the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not turn from it. And so there's truth here. There's truth here, but it is not a guarantee in every instance. To claim that is to misunderstand what a proverb is. It's to misunderstand the genre of literature that we're talking about. Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are about probability. And the wisdom literature is not ignorant of this reality because right alongside the other wisdom books like like Proverbs for instance you have books like Job and you have books like Ecclesiastes and those books deal with the exceptions to the rule Right? Job is not a bad guy and yet he's afflicted terribly and he loses everything in his life right The book of Ecclesiastes deals with those exceptions, how you can do this and be wise and get everything you want and still, and still feel empty, right? And so the the wisdom literature is very aware of of this reality about what a proverb is and what a proverb isn't. And so with regard to the passage we're looking at today, it comes down to a single crucial word, And the word is discernment. The issue in in our passage, these two verses, is discernment. How do I know when to shut my mouth when I'm dealing with someone who I think is saying or doing foolish things, right? And how do I know when I actually need to sort of interject something because it's important? And so the whole issue on when to apply one or the other of these proverbs can be summed up in that one single word, discernment. How do I discern which of these situations I'm in so I know which of these proverbs speaks wisdom into my life so that I can live it out in the, in the words of, of, the, of the sermon series title, Live Out Wisdom. How do we know when to speak and when to be silent? First off, we could say this. There are times when it is best to keep quiet in the face of folly. There are most definitely times when Proverb number one, do not answer a fool or you will become just like him, right, is the best advice. There are times to be quiet and i say that as somebody who talks for a living <laughs> right there's, there's an old adage about professors whenever there's a lull in class the professor leaps to fill it with the sweet sound of his own voice <laughs> right? but there are times when it is best to keep quiet example jesus always throw that one out there <laughs> jesus Before Herod Antipas, when he's on trial, here's a picture of Jesus standing before Herod Antipas, the man who beheaded John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, an incredibly wicked, corrupt political leader. And Jesus is hauled before Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas wants Jesus to perform magic tricks. He's heard that he does miracles. And Jesus doesn't utter a word. doesn't open his mouth because the sense is that Jesus in that moment knew that Proverb number one, Proverbs 26 verse four, was appropriate to live out. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will be just like him. And so he's completely silent before this corrupt and wicked politico named Herod Antipas. I think you could say this, sort of applying 1 Corinthians 13. Christians who feel it is their job to correct everyone quickly become clanging gongs and crashing cymbals. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm nothing. I'm a clanging gong clashing crashing symbol sometimes i have props and i thought how awesome to have a giant gong and just i didn't know like someone think like are they Buddhists? what are they doing you know Um, so that's the image in your head right many of us we attempt to interject wisdom but what we end up being are clanging gongs we end up running afoul of proverbs 26 verse 4 when it says don't answer a fool in his folly, or you'll be just like them. It's it's not my job to correct everyone. It's my job to love everyone. It is not my job to correct every error that I encounter. Right? As, as tempting as that may be in certain in certain instances, I say this quote all the time. You probably get sick of it, but it's one of my favorite quotes. Few people change their mind because they lost an argument, right? It's not how it happens for me, right? I don't get, I, I get in more entrenched in an argument. I dig my heels in, right? And so the book of Proverbs says in certain instances it's better to just be silent when you encounter a particular form of folly or, or error. Otherwise you become a, a clanging a clanging gong. Here's, here's some examples. These are not infallible examples, but these are examples where in many cases, I think, in many cases, it is wise for us to pause before, uh, to quote the book of Proverbs, becoming just like the fool. Example number one, the internet, full stop. <laughs> the internet, that where civility goes to die, the internet. And especially... Comment boxes on the internet, right? How many times, I've said this before, how many times have you seen one of those like, flame wars just end with somebody, you know what, you're right, I was wrong, I'm sorry. That never, that's never how it goes, right? Never happened in the history of the internet. The internet, and especially comment boxes, may often be a case where we ought to live out the wisdom of the first Proverbs. Don't answer a fool, or you become like him. Another example, when the person just isn't ready to hear the truth, they're not ready yet. And so it may be true what you're trying to interject, right? But they may not be ready for it. The the Bible talks about at certain points we need milk, and at certain points we need solid food. But those two points are different depending on our maturity, and so yesterday, Brianna kind of gave me the stink eye because we were at Woolarock and we were all eating slushies and I was holding our two-month-old and I was like, here, buddy, you want some slushie? You know, you know, you're not ready for slushie yet. All right? And at certain points, you're not ready for something even if it's a really good thing like a slushie. And so maybe a case where it's good to be silent in the face of foolery is when, when the person's just not ready to hear what you have to say, even if you're right about your, your, your comment or your, your interjection being, being the truth. Uh, a third area. I would say this. We can't expect people who don't believe the gospel to agree with all of the positions that Scripture or the gospel sets forth that would be just a contradiction, right? If I don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if I don't believe that the Bible is the word of God, why would I automatically agree when someone starts spouting off Bible verses to me, right? It would be like me responding to, to verses from the Quran. Like, well, it may say that. I think it's wrong, right? Right? So in those instances, th- there's, a, there's a need for this wisdom from Proverbs chapter 26, verse four. Do not rush in to this argument, or you will become exactly like the fool that you're trying to correct. Do not answer a fool, or you yourself will be like him. Number two, the other side of the coin even though there are times where it's best to keep quiet, there are times when speaking up is warranted. Jesus wasn't always silent. Jesus was silent before Herod Antipas. He was not completely silent before Pontius Pilate. He was not completely silent before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin when he was on trial before them. There are times when speaking up is warranted. And And if you had to sort of make a list of Some examples where this might be the case, where the second proverb in this this 2 proverb set would be true. I would say one example would be this. When you've invested enough time and friendship to actually be heard. When you've made enough deposits in the relational bank to have some credit built up. To have some credibility built up. Then... You can actually be heard. In those times, it's important to not be a coward, to not just say silent in, 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 a, in a certain conversation. When you've invested the time, the friendship, to be heard. But that takes time. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of lazy with regard to a lot of that stuff. Uh, I want to interject before I've actually built up the credibility to be To be heard. Rosaria Butterfield, I've quoted her before. She says this about good teachers, and this is like my goal as a teacher. She says, Good teachers make it possible for people to change their minds without shame. Good teachers make it possible for somebody to change their mind without a load of shame being attached to that mind change. That's how good teachers do it, how they bring people along and they establish credibility so that there can be transformation. And in those moments, they, they speak truth in a way that can be heard. Another example, first one is if you've invested the time in the relationship. A second example, when a particular form of foolishness, this is just in my view, is actually really harming the vulnerable and the innocent. It's not just harming the the particular fool that maybe is is saying this, but it's harming the innocent, the most vulnerable, the most innocent among us. And and the book of Proverbs illustrates this, but another part of the Bible that really illustrates this is in the Old Testament as well, and it's, it's called the prophetic writings, the prophets. And the prophets speak up over and over again for the vulnerable, the innocent, And they're willing to speak truth, even harsh truth, to people who are oppressing or hurting or killing or harming the more vulnerable members of of Israel's culture. The prophets are like that. Jesus is like that. Jesus says at one point, it'd be better for you to lash a millstone around your neck and go jump off the pier, my translation, than to cause one of the little ones to stumble. And so he speaks. He speaks harsh truth to certain people because what they're what they're doing is actually harming harming others. There are times when when speaking up is is warranted or even required. Um, all of us have personalities. I don't know if you know that about me, but um, our personalities are different. Some of us are more combative, and the temptation for us is to ignore the first proverb in this set and to rush in. Others of us are more timid and shy, more introverted, and our tendency is to ignore the second proverb in this set. And depending on who you are, your your bias or or the way you're sort of bent or skewed or balanced is gonna be different, and you may need to hear a different one. Uh, But my sense is that most of us Just most people tend to fall more in the category of, I don't want to speak, I don't want to say anything, because then if they don't like me, right? That's that's a lot of people in our society. And and the book of Proverbs would say there are times to speak up when you've invested, when something is harming the innocent. And then here's the last one that's going to send us into a whole different discussion, and that is this, when the Spirit of God prompts you. And the Spirit prompts you. The Spirit, the Bible would say, is our guide, our prompter toward a life of wisdom. It's the Spirit of wisdom. And just as Jesus is connected to wisdom, so too is, is the Spirit connected to wisdom. The Spirit is our guide to, to wisdom. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us, I know we we wish it did, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how to act in every situation that comes up. It it just doesn't. And sometimes the danger within evangelicalism is, is really a form of heresy because it replaces Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And the Spirit becomes, in the word of one author, the forgotten God. We can't like listen. We don't want to be weird, right? We don't want to get too spiritual or we might, you know, become crazy, you know, run around the room, you know. Uh, But the spirit is the guide to wisdom. And so while the scriptures are inspired and true and there to help us in all sorts of situations, the scriptures have to be interpreted and applied through the Holy Spirit. Because there's not just a simple paint by numbers, point by point set of instructions for every situation. What exactly do you say when your teenager comes home drunk? Look that up in the Bible. Step one, right? (laughs) Quote Leviticus. Uh, I mean, it doesn't, what exactly do you say when that happens? What what do you say exactly when your Facebook friend says something untrue or, or hurtful, right? The Bible gives us guidance in all sorts of these areas, but we need the Spirit to live it out in a way that's life-giving and helpful. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, and Spirit. John 14 says this. All this, Jesus says, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things. He says, after I leave, I'm going to send the Spirit, and it's the Spirit that will guide you and teach you. He says at one point, that will guide you into all truth. Luke 12, Jesus in Luke 12 says this, When you're brought before the synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. It's a very kind of odd piece of advice, because he's like, don't write out a script, right? Okay, first I'm going to say this, then I'm going to, you know, don't don't, don't make a list, right? Type A types are all great. Um, He says, the Spirit will lead you. And I've had students who tried to take this approach to my New Testament exams. Uh, It it had a less um, spiritual result. But Jesus says in some instances, instead of just plotting and planning and making, here's exactly, wait a minute, like pause and listen to the Spirit of God and what the Spirit actually wants you to say because it's not a paint-by-numbers, point-by-point set of instructions. The Spirit is there to lead us into, into wisdom. The Spirit is our guide to wisdom. I read a book recently on the the Holy Spirit and the author surveyed all of Christian art and iconography. All the different paintings and drawings that had been done depicting the Trinity. And if you know anything about the Trinity, you know it's probably not gonna work very well for you to like draw it. (laughs) It doesn't doesn't work like that. But she'd surveyed the, the entire scope of Christian history And she said, what I found was throughout the history of the church, what tended to happen is this powerful brooding dove that brings forth new creation. Whether we're talking about Genesis 1 or whether we're talking about Noah after the flood or the ultimate end of the story in Revelation, the powerful brooding dove of the Holy Spirit was reduced in many cases to what she called an ever." shrinking pigeon between this sort of masculine dyad of the father, big father, and the son, very prominent. You can picture Jesus, right? And then amid the big father and the the visible son, there was, you said, an ever-shrinking pigeon, quote, small, shadowy, and hard to see. And so, the question I want to end on today is 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 that what's happened in in your life? When it comes time to apply wisdom, uh, do we sometimes edge out the the voice, the whisper, the breath of the Holy Spirit? And maybe right now you would just close your eyes and pray with me. Maybe there's an instance, a conflict, a, a situation that you've been stressed about in one way or another. And I don't know whether I should speak up in this instance. I don't know whether I should just be quiet. I don't know which of these two proverbs applies. Do answer a fool. Don't answer. Right now, we just need to be quiet and ask the Holy Spirit. God, in this moment, in this room, there are many people who are are wondering what to do in particular instances situations in their lives maybe it's a conflict maybe it's a decision so Lord we pause right now and ask for guidance maybe it's not even something that pertains directly to to quote answering a fool Uh, maybe we're the fools in one way or another but we seek your guidance. We seek the advocate, the Holy Spirit. That still, small voice of wisdom would help us know how to respond to that issue at work, that issue in our family right now, that, that, that issue in a particular friendship or relationship. We need wisdom to know when to answer, to know how to answer, and when to be silent. Lord, we pray for guidance this week as we go about our lives. and we thank you more than anything else. As Jesus said, that you have not left us as orphans but you've sent your Spirit. and You will send your Son again one day to make all things, all manner of things well. So it's in His powerful name we pray. Amen.